And now as we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us first turn to God in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, we pray that you will still us and center us in your word today, that your Holy Spirit will open our ears and our minds and our hearts so that we may hear these words in new and fresh ways today, that in hearing them we may believe them, that in believing them our lives may be transformed by them so that we will go out into the world to live more faithfully as the disciples of Jesus Christ, who is your word made flesh, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. Listen now for the word of God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in, he in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you pray with me? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Those of us who had the joy and privilege of traveling to Israel with Jeff Leonard back in May learned from him that we would visit three kinds of places during our journey. We would visit places that were like a place mentioned in the Bible. We would visit places that were near the places mentioned in scripture. And we would, more rarely, visit places that the scholars and biblical archeologists agree are the place a particular story occurred. When we visited a place now known as Banias, we learned that scholars and archeologists agree it is the very place known in the scripture as Caesarea Philippi, the place where our story this morning occurs. As I and our group stood on this spot and looked around us, this particular story came to life in a completely new way. Here are some things that is important to know in order to understand why Jesus chose this particular setting to ask his disciples this all-important, essential, life-altering question of faith and discipleship. Who do you say that I am? First, Caesarea Philippi lay at the intersection of great trade routes. 
It was a place of economic importance. Goods of all kinds flowed through this city, and immense wealth changed hands as people bought and sold those goods. In addition to being an economic center for that part of the world, it was also a political center. The Romans occupied this part of Israel in order to benefit from the riches flowing through the area. In about 20 BC, Caesar Augustus had given some of the territory around this important stronghold to Herod the Great, who continued the process of building it into a great city. He built himself a palace, of course, and he also built a temple for the worship of Caesar, whom the Romans considered divine. Upon Herod's death, the territory passed to one of his sons, Philip, who renamed the town Caesarea Philippi, honoring his patron Augustus Caesar and also giving ample honor to himself. It was a center of both Roman and Jewish political power. Finally, this city was built upon ancient pagan worship sites. The name Banias comes from the fact that this area contained a large center of worship to the Greek and Roman god Pan. Our group in May gathered at the bottom of a large cliff formation. Into that rock face, the ancients carved, used natural caves as well as carving out niches into the stone to house altars to various Greek and Roman gods, still worshipped at the time of Jesus. There was the grotto housing the altar for the worship of the god Pan, but there were also temples to Zeus, Nemesis, temples to the dancing goats of all things, and the great temple for the worship of Augustus Caesar. This story takes place about midway through Jesus' public ministry in three out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The disciples have been following Jesus for a while now. In their time with him, they have witnessed miracles of healing and feeding, of stilling storms and casting out demons. They heard his teaching and preaching and saw the crowds of people following him growing larger all the time, crowds that were hungry for his healing, his teaching, longing simply to be in his presence. Soon, Jesus would turn his face toward Jerusalem and the cross. So at this pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry, he brings his disciples to this particular place, knowing that this location holds symbols of all of the idols that compete for the allegiance of the human heart and mind and spirit, economic wealth and prosperity, political power and prestige, and the worship of other gods. And standing in the literal shadow of those looming cliffs filled with altars to these other gods and the palaces of political power, Jesus first asks his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now that's a fairly safe and innocuous question. It is not a personal question, really. Who do the crowd say the Son of Man is? The disciples are all quick to jump in with the prevailing theories. Well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then, Jesus, as he always does, goes to meddling. Who do you say that I am? He makes the question very personal. 
I love to imagine this scene. In my mind's eye, I see the disciples all shifting back and forth in uncomfortable silence at first, their heads bowed low, trying to avoid Jesus's direct gaze upon them, perhaps giving each other the side eye, clearing their throats, drawing circles in the sand with the toe of their sandals. And then, of course, it is good old Peter who speaks for them all. You are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus blesses Simon, son of Jonah, and gives him a new name, Peter, which is Greek for rock, and says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon the rock of Peter's confession of faith, yes, but also, I would say, upon the actual physical rocks all around them of empire and economic might, and the altars of other gods. Upon all of it, Jesus will build his church and the very gates of hell, he says, will not prevail against it. Who do you say that Jesus is? As you sit in these pews this morning, Jesus is among us still, his piercing gaze looking directly into each of our eyes, asking us this all-important, essential, life-altering question, who do you say that I am? He asks it of each one of us individually, and he asks it of our community of faith here at IPC, who do you say that I am? Jesus knows that just like human beings of all times and all places, the lure of idols is all around us. We, like the people of his own time, are tempted to worship something other than the God of Israel, other than Jesus the Christ. We are tempted at times to worship our family or our friends, our money, our jobs, our political parties, technology, education, church buildings and programs and traditions, and here in Alabama, maybe at times, even our football teams. Jesus knows it is essential for us, as it was for his first disciples, to answer this question for ourselves. Who do you say that I am? And if we affirm, along with Peter, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then the question changes a bit, I think, and he asks us, now, tell me what difference that makes in the way you live your life every day as an individual believer. What difference does it make for how you live as a community of faith, the body of Christ known as Independent Presbyterian Church here in Birmingham, Alabama and all across the globe? Barbara Brown Taylor tells the story of a woman leaving the church building after worship one morning, and as she exited the sanctuary, there was a man standing on the sidewalk, and she nearly bumped into him, and he was looking into the building, and she stepped around him, and he said to her, excuse me, what is it that you all believe in there? The woman stopped suddenly to respond to his question, but she was not sure what to say. The man repeated his question, but when he saw that the woman was struggling to come up with a response, he replied, sorry, I didn't intend to bother you. And he walked on down the street and away from the church. The woman said it caused her to really think about that question. What is it? 
that you all believe in there. Who do you say that I am? What difference does our answer make for the way in which we live individually and as a church? If we believe and affirm that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, what difference does it make in how we live within our families, with our spouses, our children, our parents, our siblings? What difference does it make in how we live among our friends? What difference does it make in how we treat those we think are our enemies in some way? What difference does it make in how we treat those who differ from us politically, socially, theologically, culturally? If we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, what difference does that make when we receive a difficult diagnosis and a long, hard treatment lies ahead of us and suddenly our mortality looms before us? What difference does it make when we sit at the bedside of someone we love more than our own life who is close to death in a hospital room or at home on hospice or when that loved one actually dies and we are overcome with grief? What difference does it make when life gets most difficult, when we struggle with addiction of some kind or depression or anxiety? What difference does it make when our family is torn apart by divorce, when our children are struggling socially or academically, emotionally or spiritually, or when they are rebelling against all we have sought to teach them and all that we hold dear? What difference does it make in how we spend our time, our money, how we behave at work or at school? how we use our talents and resources when we proclaim that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of the living God. What difference does it make that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, when we are struggling to forgive someone who has harmed us or harmed someone we love, or when we are the ones who need to be forgiven? What difference does it make in how we live together as a community of faith in our fellowship with each other, in our desire to learn and grow in our faith through Bible study and small groups, in our service to our community and the world? What difference does it make in how we treat our beautiful planet or how we respond to the violence around us? What difference does it make when we encounter people who are filled with a deep longing for a place where they feel they belong, a place where they know they are loved valued, where they have dignity, and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are the beloved children of God, each one made in God's image. Our answer to this question should be life-altering in every arena of our lives. If we say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, it means at least this that the light and grace of Jesus Christ will never be overcome by any darkness in our lives or in the church or in the world. It means that he is our redeemer and that he lives in the church and in our lives and in the world, constantly redeeming us from every aspect of our lives that is unfaithful. It means that 
evil and sin and death never have the last word in our lives because in Christ, the last word is always resurrection to new life. It means that in Jesus, God's kingdom has come among us. It is alive and active in our lives and in the church and in the world. And not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Now God and Jesus know that we will sometimes fail to be faithful in the way we live our answer to this question. That we will sometimes fail and fall for the temptations of the idols all around us, asking for our pledge of allegiance to them, just as Peter sometimes failed, just as all the other disciples and all the followers down through the centuries since sometimes failed. The amazing and miraculous and gracious truth is that Jesus knows how frail we and our faith can be. And still he loves us. Still he chooses us. He chooses to build his church and his kingdom on us and with the likes of us. And he reassures us that not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. And he wants us to realize that there is still so much room in his church, at his font, at his table. He calls us to offer our pledge of obedience to him over and above all other forces and idols and gods that call out to us for our allegiance to them. He calls us to pledge our allegiance to him alone and to follow him to the end and beyond whatever may come. If we met someone on the sidewalk after worship today who was on the outside looking in, asking us as we exited the building, what is it that you all believe in there? What would we say? Consider that Jesus Christ may have sent them our way to ask in different words that all-important, essential, life-altering question, who do you say that I am? I hope that you and I, if asked, might speak the words of Peter, even if our voice trembles when we say it. In this place, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And if you want to know what difference that makes, in our lives, in our church, and through us in the world, what life lived with him does for us and what it can do for you and for the world. Please come on in and see. You are welcome here. And then we can pray that our life individually as we move through each day and our life together within these walls and the way we as a community of faith reach out beyond the walls of this church into the world will be a living, breathing, forgiving, gracious, healing, compassionate, hope-filled, joyful, loving testimony to our resurrected and living Lord, Jesus Christ. This morning, he invites us to come to this table to eat and drink and be filled with his love and his redemptive grace, to pledge our allegiance once again to him above all else, and then to go out into the world empowered to live as those who proclaim with our lips and with our lives that Jesus Christ is the Messiah 
the Son of the living God, and that believing, we will then share this abundant life with the world. And maybe, just maybe, we can speak and live that truth in such a compelling way that others will want to come and see just what it is we believe in this place. And when they meet Jesus here, their lives, like ours, will never be the same. Who do you say that I am? Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>